0: This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode... I talked to winemaker Sherry Hood. After spending the 90s managing bands like Stereolab and working for the record label 4AD, she moved to Portland, Oregon to pursue wine. She now makes the pressing plant wines in Oregon, all of which are vegan, delicious, and named after songs. We discussed why she became vegetarian and how that inspired her to make vegan wines, and also what it was like to not eat meat while on tour in the 90s. Hi Sherry, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi thanks for having me.
0: Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Sure
1: um, I grew up in a lot of different places and my parents my parents met in medical school and so after they left they we we kind of moved every three years for internships um, for them to do and so So I've lived in uh, Nashville and Florida and the Bay Area and Boston and Baltimore. And um, most of my—the solid amount of time spent, though, was junior high and high school. I lived in Alabama. When my parents got divorced, I ended up moving to where my dad and my—that family, part of my family lived in Alabama. And— before i moved to alabama uh you know my mother my mother cooked and in california she she was while well, she was a single mom when i lived with her she made um you know she got into baking bread and you know doing all of these these things and it was really fun and when i moved to alabama my grandmother cooked a lot my dad being a doctor didn't cook a lot and so we kind of had a combination of like say my breakfasts before school would be um TV breakfasts, you know, um, yeah, (laughs) it was in the seventies, um, like pancakes and little sausages and, you know, and so, uh, yeah, so TV breakfasts, or we would eat out at restaurants in the morning and I would again have pancakes, very into pancakes (laughs) as a kid. Um, and so, and then my grandmother would cook very traditional Southern cornbread, um, pot roast and meat and ham and um but I really loved the vegetables and green beans and potatoes I loved potatoes and you know all of that sort of thing so banana pudding (laughs) lots of great desserts and 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 things like that yeah
0: when did you become vegetarian and what inspired you to do that um
1: when when I left for college I well okay so in Alabama My dad was, uh, so he was a doctor, but he also was a hobby farm person. He owned a farm that was like 100 acres, so it wasn't like so hobby, but, um, and we raised animals. And we also, you know, had a huge garden and grew corn to feed the animals. And we named the animals. And I loved them. I love animals. I had a horse. And uh, at some point, I remember toward the end of high school, kind of wondering where an animal was and uh, found out that it was in our freezer. Ooh. And I don't know. I never asked those questions before. And um, it really upset me, you mm-hmm. know. And at the same time, I want to say that my love of vegetables came from my dad because he, we would plant this large garden, and we would go out to pick it. And my dad would say, "So we're gonna pick this corn, and then we're gonna run inside and put it in the water, and we're gonna have this as fresh as we possibly can. And um, and we're not gonna put anything on it. So we wouldn't put butter and salt on it, and we just have the corn. And it was so delicious to really taste those flavors instead of like traditional Southern cooking, yeah. which adds a lot, adds <laughs> stuff and makes it. Hmm. But so those things. So I, I feel like from my dad, I got both this love of vegetables in their form and appreciation for them coming out of the earth and also um, not wanting to eat meat. <laughs> and so when I went to college, I remember seeing – I remember being at Rutgers and being in the student cafeteria, and I got some lentil soup, and it had these little pink squares in it. And and I was like, oh, there's little pieces of flesh in my soup. <laughs> like, ugh. And – That was kind of it. Yeah. And I realized, like, I just didn't want to eat flesh anymore. I really thought of meat as flesh. And, um, you know, it took a little while. I still ate chicken for a little while because I didn't associate it as being fleshy. Right. And then I just stopped you know, um, and I still don't like fake meat. Mm -hmm. I don't like the texture and the chew of something that feels meaty. That was just a choice that felt like animals. Also when growing up, um, my grandparents lived on the Tennessee River and had a boat dock and everyone would catch fish and then they just put them on the boat dock And the fish would flop around, you know, and it's just heartbreaking. Like, it's just heartbreaking. And no one really understood. They just, you know, I was just such a sensitive child. And uh, (laughs) I cried a lot over things like that. And, you know, it wasn't ever validated that that was an okay way to feel about Um, about animals or a choice to make, really.
0: Right, right, right. You spent a long time working in the music industry and uh, running the U.S. office for 4AD, I read. Um, Were there a lot of other vegetarians in the music scene? I've I've noticed that there is kind of an overlap often. That time was really great for being vegetarian. (laughs) Yeah, and even in college, like, I, I,
1: I started... So when I was at Rutgers, I left there, and then when I was 23... Uh, opened the U.S. office for 4AD Records. And so it was still just kind of coming off of that, you know, just right out of being in college. And that whole feeling of that um, it was part of kind of being part of like this art punk scene and, um, and you know, being straight edge or like, like all the influences of, that came out like with punk rock and seeing and hearing different people and what they were choosing. And um, so being vegetarian then was really – easy and exciting and felt like being part of a community that I wanted to be a part of but at the same time it wasn't weird for people not to be you know it wasn't mm-hmm. uncool not to be vegetarian but it was <laughs> it was easy to find those things especially here in new york you know eating at places like dojos and you know learning about tofu and i didn't even for a long time of being vegetarian, I just didn't like tofu at all. And then I remember going to San Francisco on a work trip, and someone took me to Greens and said, like, they, they ordered tofu, and I tried it. And the way it was prepared, I was like, oh, my God, I love tofu. Like, And I just didn't before. And yeah. so kind of that's how a lot of my interest and choices in food have been is from other people making suggestions or letting me try their food or um, things like that. Just it, it's – yeah, it opens your mind and –
0: yeah, yeah. So you moved to Portland in 1999. Um, did you know then, when you moved there, that you were going to become a winemaker?
1: No, not at all. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I had stopped working with. I, I had been managing bands for many years, so I, I was only at 480 for a couple of couple of years, and then uh, I wanted to work more closely with musicians. And um, when before I left New York, I just was I got. I hit a point where I stopped being able to feel that same love for music it wasn't free it was complicated for me and so I I just stopped having that be my career and work so when I moved to Portland I um, put things on hold I got a temp job and I typed for a year and just to kind of like not have any pressure you know and And then it just kind of occurred to me how much – someone had actually suggested it when I left New York, a a woman that I worked with at – I was temping at People magazine when I left. And this this writer said, you know, I see you when you go to Oregon becoming a winemaker. And I thought, that's crazy. Like that's so nice that you think that I could do something like that, but like – wow, that's a long shot. And then after typing for so long, I kind of thought like, what would that mean? What do you have to do? So I, you know, I Googled it and UC Davis came up and uh, I realized I could um, take all that. You have to take a couple of years of science classes through, you know, microbiology and biochemistry before you can take the winemaking classes. So I did that in Portland and then I I went down to UC Davis and uh, took the, did the course in in viticulture and enology, and then after graduating came straight back to Portland and um, worked in the wine industry there and um, so yeah it was really like thinking it was such a leap what I knew was I wanted I knew what it was like to work at a job that I loved and I loved working in music. I've loved music since I was five. My mother took me to see the monkeys for my fifth birthday, mm-hmm. you know. And I wanted something I felt as passionately about. And I loved wine. And, and I loved when I went to wineries, listening to winemakers and to, you know, because a lot of times winemakers would give you the tour and hearing about the process and how learning how to come up with this wine, it was farming which I understood from being in Alabama, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was also science in uh, in in plants and biology and yet also in chemistry and microbiology. And it was a craft. And there was part that one learned from experience and from listening to the wine, and then it was subjective. And it's also – then the product is also social. And, um, yeah, there were so many – it was so multifaceted that I, I just thought, if I go to school and I learn this i'll uh, I'll get a college degree which will make my mother happy, and uh, I will learn something interesting and if I'm not good at this production side of it of being a winemaker, then you know I've done marketing and, and promotion in music, so I could still be involved in it in in that area, so it seemed like um, something that was worth doing in my life to to pause for for what
0: my next career would be do you remember the first bottle of wine that that brought you into wine oh i don't
1: (laughs) i don't actually um i remember not liking wine and then again similar to to the food aspect i remember other people kind of ordering wine or opening wine. Um, My ex-in-laws were really into wine and they had a great wine cellar and uh, we would meet them for trips in, say, Sonoma or uh, on Long Island and go to wineries. And so kind of being able to taste a wide range of wines and learn what I liked about the wines and what I didn't like about wines and then to also grow in my um, my palate really changed. You know, they say that people start with sweet and then, and then kind of expand from there. People tend to start with whites and then go to reds. Um, and I... I remember that I, the things that I liked are very different from the things that I appreciate about wine now. You know, I really love really interesting odd wines now. <laughs> and so so at the beginning, it was really more of going from wines in bars or at parties, mm-hmm. you know, cheap crappy wines, <laughs> and to wines that were interesting and like yum, right, you know, right, right. and like, woo and having conversations about them, but not in a pretentious way, you know. Um.
0: Yeah. 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 Do you remember when you felt like you had kind of become a winemaker? Was there a moment for you where you realized, "Wow, I'm good at this"? Oh, um, I think that there.
1: I did after I left Davis. I went. I. I did. I just kind of did a lot of harvest. So I went to the southern. I would come to. I went to Oregon and did harvest, and then I would go to New Zealand and do harvest, and then I would come back and do Oregon, and then I went back and I did an Australia harvest, and then a New Zealand harvest. And I just really wanted to get kind of up to speed on using equipment, and I was really so intent on trying to figure out like. What's the right way to do this? And what I learned from that is that there's no one right way to do this. And I learned that there's so many different theories that people have and preferences and people feel very strongly about some of them and um, and and not as strongly about others. And, and so after that, at, when I came back, I remember working at an Oregon winery and – uh, with a friend of mine, uh, I worked. I was working at Bethel Heights in 2005, and with my friend Ben, who who they're a family, um, who owns that. And and he, it was his first year as winemaker. And I just remember that he and I having conversations about wine, and that I felt like I was holding my own with like that I had preferences and that I had suggestions, and um, that they were valid, and that my experience and trying these things were, um, that I was capable, you know, and that's kind of how it started as opposed to like that I was good at what I did, you know, (laughs) I, I think I was just very nervous, but I realized that I could hold my own and, um, and yeah, that I, I was capable of making wine that was good and enjoyable and, uh, not let anything bad happen to it.
0: If that right. makes sense, yeah. Uh, is there anything about winemaking in Oregon specifically that that is especially compelling to you? Oh well, I,
1: I when I moved to the Northwest, I just love being there. Um, when I moved from New York, I wasn't sure how what it would be like to to be anywhere outside of New York, you know, in this like total egocentric way of New York uh, being a New Yorker. But I um, I just I really love it out there. And when I started getting just even interested and curious about going into wine. I you know uh, uh, one of my neighbors introduced me to a, a the vineyard manager for a big winery and or a, a- well-respected winery, and he introduced me to a female winemaker who had been to UC Davis, and she helped me to understand what classes I should take or what was important in my studies, and um, he also introduced me to another friend of his who was also another female winemaker, my friend Cheryl Francis, and she got me, um, she introduced me to someone to do my first internship, and that, for me, is what the Oregon wine industry has started was an, as, a, as an introduction to me, but it's also continues to be this day is that um, I can call anyone and ask their experience or for some advice, and they're happy to make the time to share that with me. I can walk up to a winemaker, you know, even when I wasn't a winemaker could or when I was a young and upcoming winemaker, let's say, could go to a restaurant and see someone and go up and say, I really like your wines, and to, I work here, and they would stop and say, come, you know, come have a beer, you know, <laughs> and uh, and talk. And people just aren't, like, couldn't be any nicer. You know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful community of people. In addition to the fact that I think we make great wines there, and that um, it's a, it's a you know, it's perfect for grape growing. It's you know, but but the community makes me want to stay there as opposed to going to California. It's just I I don't know that community, but Oregon's really special.
0: Right? Do you feel like you're part of a specific women winemaker community there?
1: Uh, no. I I, I think there are many women winemakers, and I um am always excited to get to know more of them and and we're all supportive of one another, but I would say no more or less supportive than we are of our you know uh, of our male um or male identified you know right, right, um, right. winemaker friends and yeah, but I mean there's some some really I I really love watching and hearing how other people present themselves. And so Mm -hmm. that's been a learning thing for me, too.
0: Totally. Um, So why did you decide, if you're a vegetarian, to make sure that your wines are vegan?
1: Um, I actually had just been kind of doing that as a personal choice. Mm -hmm. And had noticed that I gravitated toward the choices that I made in uh, not using... And uh, not using fining products that were animal based was really just something that it, one, it didn't, sometimes I would try them to see whether or not that, that changed the wine, but the choices were always that it didn't make the wine better for me. It didn't make it better in the way that I would like it better. And that's how I have to make the wine. I have to make it in terms of what I think makes this, um, the wine that I want it to be. And, uh, in many cases, using different finding products would end up being that the best thing was to leave the wine alone and let it be exactly as it is. But I, I just uh, I I find that more more and more I just make choices in that direction. And so, someone I was doing a tasting, and I remember an older woman came up and asked me. A woman in her seventies came up and said, "Are your wines vegan?" <laughs> and um, and I was like, "Yeah." My wines are vegan, you know. Thank, thanks for asking. <laughs> and it made me realize that I needed to let the stores know specifically. Um, I'm in carried in a couple of uh, chains like Whole Foods and a store called New Seasons in in the Portland area. And those places want to know if your wines are are vegetarian or vegan. Um, that is part of of what people are interested in. And so I never thought of it as a marketing. Aspect it's a it's a choice that I make, but then I realized that other people who make the same who are making similar choices for whatever reason um, may want to know that. And a lot of people don't realize that wines are um, that there is a possibility that wines are not vegetarian or vegan. And um, it's a process of finding uh, it, sometimes the traditional a traditional finding. A uh, product would be gelatin, and for me, gelatin's just like a no, right. you know? And um, Isinglass is a fish bladder, and uh, people use egg whites or a product that's derived from egg whites, but some people literally use egg whites. I've used egg whites when I've been employed by another winery and been asked to do so, casein, which is from milk. Um, I've heard that it's another one that's from like um, Chris, uh, like shells, crustacean, Like, mm-hmm. so I don't know that Product, but so there are things um, you know. We don't always know what the processes are, and um, and and that's kind of surprising that there's a product that we that is. I, I mean, wine is a food. It's just not under the FDA. I think it's under the TTB, and so we don't aren't always aware of what you know. I, as a vegetarian, I know to ask about with food if uh, rice or beans have been cooked with lard or. Chicken stock or meat, you know. I ask if I explain if 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 I think somebody's not sure about the vegetarianism of of uh, in a restaurant, but like I don't want those products. I don't want to put those products in my body, um, and I don't want to encourage. The use of those products in that way, but with wine, people don't think about it. And so, um, I think it's cool that something like Barnivore has a list that you can register. Um, I was approached recently by some there attorneys that will you can have your wine or your product verified. You know, I'm too small to like need to verify it. I, I you know if I make the wine or if I'm aware of all of the aspects of things, then, um, then this is what I can do is I can tell you what the things are, you know? Right, right, right.
0: Um, so you grew up on a farm, but has being a winemaker and, and being a little bit more involved with, you know, the grapes and the harvest, has that changed your relationship to food and farming at all? Ooh. Um,
1: I don't... You know the I, uh, uh, of the of viticulture and enology, um, viticulture being the grape growing side of things that is not the side that I gravitated toward, and it's a really important side. Mm-hmm. But the side that I have really leaned toward and connected with was uh, in the winery side and uh, the more chemistry and microbiology side. And um, so I still feel very intimidated. By the farming aspect of it, and I tend to um, use uh, the advice and help of other friends who that area is more their strong point. So I would say that I don't have a stronger connection with farming per se.
0: Right, right, right. Um, so you say that when you go out to eat that you don't, you ask questions and you don't want to put lard or anything like that in in your body. Um, when you cook or when you go out to eat and you make these decisions, do you consider them a political choice or is it always an ethical choice? Oh, I think that
1: my first choice is it's a personal choice Mm -hmm. and it's, it's ethical. It's, I just love animals so much. Um, what has changed for and and I and I get to make this choice, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like I get to have a vote, this is right. my vote in mm-hmm. in how I would like for things to be. Um, recently, I started volunteering at an uh, farm animal sanctuary, and I, I actually am doing a I'm doing a, a dinner coming up soon with a vegan restaurant, and th- they had approached me about it, and it's going to benefit a different. A farm animal sanctuary, and that idea of where I can contribute toward helping animals, um, and that that is not about putting that food in my body. You know, what else can I do? I'm volunteering. I've been volunteering for this place called Lighthouse, and um, that's kind of near Salem, in Oregon. And just the connection with the animals is uh, it. It just it makes me want to do more. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it makes it more of a political decision um i would i gosh we have all, you know portland's such a foodie town now right. was not in 99 <laughs> but it, it, there was we have like everything week burger week and uh we recently had wings week and you know usually i just kind of like um just tune out because i can't do anything about wings week you know right. and i happen to volunteer that weekend, and there are these chickens, and the chickens are not, um, you know, not the animals that I gravitate toward when I'm volunteering, it's the, the pigs that follow me around, or the sheep that, like, are total leaners, like dogs, (laughs) and that you just, I just, like, want hugs, and, um, but I'm looking at these chickens, and I realize that like out of i don't even know do people eat like buckets of wings like i don't <laughs> I don't even know how people eat wings, but like they eat a lot of wings at a time. I think you order like ten or if you order ten wings or something that this one little chicken in front of me like that's just two of the wings, like just just two of the wings is like going toward that, and that um that, that like really breaks my heart, you know? And so being around the animals opens my heart to be able to have the strength and conviction to, to do more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel it really daunting. I remember going as a kid, we went to, a I don't know that we went to a slaughterhouse, but we went to a farm that had animals that, you know, working farm and, and even then, like, I was probably seven or eight. It was, I cried, you know, and that's not how animals should live. And, yeah, it's just, um, I sometimes have to shut down. And I, I, I see Moby's feed on my, um, my Instagram <laughs> feed, and I love a lot of it. And some of it, when it gets to upsetting for me i have to like scroll through really fast and and i'm not trying to ignore it but i also have to feel strong enough in order to be able to to make change myself you know thank you sherry thank you